Welcome to the Steve Barkley Ponders Out Loud podcast. As instructional coaches and school leaders, you have a challenge to guide continuous teacher growth that promotes student success. This podcast looks to support you with strategies from our experienced guests and insights that I've gathered across many years. I'm thrilled you're here. Thanks for listening. Promoting Teacher Self-Efficacy. Sarah Caraleo published an article in Education Week titled, Teachers Don't Need More Self-Care, They Need Self-Efficacy. As soon as I read it, I uh, dropped a note right off asking Sarah to join the podcast, and uh, I'm delighted to tell you that she's agreed and she's here with us today. Sarah is currently a doctoral student at John Hopkins University School of Education. She's been an elementary teacher and an instructional coach. She now conducts research about how school systems can best strengthen teachers' instructional capacity, given the current challenges that they face. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. I much appreciate it. Um, I'm I'm guessing that we probably ought to start with a a definition of uh, teacher advocacy that people can have in mind as they listen. Yes, yeah, that's a great place to start. So self-efficacy describes a person's beliefs and their abilities to execute certain tasks or behaviors needed to accomplish their goals. So when we put that in the context of teachers, you can think about the many tasks that they're expected to complete, the multifaceted aspect of the job, and efficacy relates to how they believe in themselves to be able to accomplish those and feel successful. And it really informs the types of goals they might set for themselves, their motivation to persist through something when they face a challenge with it. It might even affect how they feel about themselves in terms of their confidence and how they compare to other colleagues around them. So for teachers, it's incredibly important. It's It really affects a lot of their work. When teachers have strong self-efficacy in something, they believe they have the tools and skills needed to accomplish it, which we know for teachers, they, they have a lot that they're juggling and working with. And when they don't, they might doubt their abilities to get through something, or they might feel incompetent at times. And studies have actually shown that it leads to increased stress, exhaustion, negative attitudes towards the profession, and can even trigger the burnout process. So hence the connection to what people are recognizing as teachers needing more self-care mm-hmm. kind of list of indicators could yeah. be could be strongly influenced by the teacher's efficacy. Absolutely. Yeah, I see them as very related. Although I would say with efficacy, it's it is related to tools that they have to help them accomplish those tasks. So kind of my thinking behind that title I'm a fan of self-care. I'm not against (laughs) self-care, right? But I think sometimes when school systems say, practice more self-care, it it goes on to the teacher to be responsible to Ah. set boundaries and, you know, put on a facial mask at the end of the day or whatever. Whereas with self-efficacy, it can literally be school systems giving them tools they need to feel confident and successful. Strategies? Uh, go along with your use of the word tools? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So I'm wondering, you, you, you spent a chunk of years in the, in the classroom and then a chunk of years as an instructional coach. I'm wondering if you can shed some personal perspectives and, and observations from that time. Absolutely. So I've worked in a few different types of roles, and it's actually interesting. I think in each type of role where you have different tasks and responsibilities given to you, efficacy relates a little bit differently. So my first job, I was actually working as a gifted teacher. I was doing pull-out instructional classes for them, and I had gotten quite a bit of training on that that position and I felt relatively successful. But the more training, the more PDs I attended, I felt more and more efficacious. And I had a wonderful supervisor who would come in pretty regularly to my classroom and give me feedback that was very targeted and one step at a time. And I ended up feeling after a couple years, extremely successful and confident in that role. And that actually helped me become an instructional coach for classroom teachers to train them in how to differentiate instruction for advanced students. And also if they ever came up with some challenging social emotional um, hurdles, I was there to help them. And what was cool in that role as an instructional coach was getting to partner in that efficacy boost for teachers, right? So a lot of people really struggle with differentiation, especially if it's for just one or two students who are far advanced beyond maybe what the grade level curriculum is. So they would come to me and I would see them feeling overwhelmed and stressed or maybe even frustrated that, you know, the parent wants me to do this. I don't have time. And so we would work together and I would give some strategies based on my knowledge. And I would just see as that support was coming in, they would be like, oh, okay, I can do that. I feel like I can at least give it a try. And then we would connect afterwards and talk about what went well, what didn't. And over time, and it's important to note, it's over time, right? Their efficacy would be growing in that area. And I would notice a little shift. So getting to participate in that really felt, I think, enjoyable and satisfying for both of us. I had one other example, and this was when I was teaching as a gen ed teacher. And it was the first time I was teaching in a gen ed classroom by myself, not in a co-teaching model. And I had 33 students Whoa. in fourth grade <laughs> in a very tight physical space. And a lot of the students entered my classroom at very different ability levels. So I had already been trained quite a bit on differentiation, right? I had been trained in behavior management, but no amount of training could have fully prepared me for what it actually is like in the moment, <laughs> getting into that classroom, trying to meet 33 children's different needs by myself. So I would say pretty quickly, <laughs> I felt overwhelmed. I was not feeling successful. I saw other people succeeding and it didn't feel good for me and I wasn't sleeping well. And that just, it was very demotivating. I, I found myself not wanting to go to work in the morning. And luckily for me, I had a principal who saw what was going on she stepped in and said, I'm going to connect you with a coach. And this coach had had a lot of experience in behavior management specifically, but also she had taught for several years with classes of that size. And so we got to meet at least once a week, if not more. And she would just give me strategies and tools of, you know, when you're doing math stations, here's the best way to organize it. When you're having this type of behavior pop up, here's what to do. And over time, with her support, I really 
started to feel more confident. I started enjoying my work again, which obviously is ideal. And over the next several years, I had really built that skill set to be able to manage both instructionally and behaviorally 33 students. But I don't think that would have happened for me had my principal not right. stepped in and given me that coach. So it, it's really interesting because before you started that last example, what I was hearing in your statements was the importance of coaching. But I was also hearing a special piece to it that I, I think plays out. I was I was almost connecting it to scaffolding when you talked about it being over time. So mm -hmm. it, it's not like the coach comes in and hands you a, a, a quick fix, but they're they're scaffold yeah, they're scaffolding this process. Well, actually it's it's kind of better because mm. I, I I do that very often when I'm working with mentors. If you give too quick of a fix, it can almost be unmotivating to yeah. the person getting it. Like, you know, I should have been able to figure this out on, on, on my own mm -hmm. um, uh, versus that that idea of the mentor working more like a coach with you and yeah. they're scaffolding you through this so that you see yourself uh, uh, gaining it and growing uh, mm -hmm. more than you got this answer being handed to you from someone else. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It, it feels motivating and good when you can see that success in yourself over time. And, and I, I, I think that pretty closely describes when scaffolding is being effective in the classroom. Mm -hmm. The student sees themselves performing at the level that other students are performing mm -hmm. because the teachers put the scaffold in and that that's growing the students' efficacy and seeing yeah. themselves as a learner. Yeah, it's all very related, right? Just how humans grow and how we learn. And I think having those structures in place to scaffold and having supports along the way built in intentionally really help with that. So um, in the article, which, by the way, we'll, uh, we'll put the link in the lead into the podcast so folks can find it. But in the article, you, you talked about using communities of practice as a form of uh, PD that helps to grow efficacy. Would expand on that for us? Yes. So if you noticed in all of my examples above, every self-efficacy boost came through social connection, right? Or intentional supports built in. And teaching is often a very siloed profession. Mm -hmm. We complete teacher training and then we get dropped into a solitary classroom expected to do an incredibly complex and multifaceted job. And even people who have been in the profession for years of experience have, have things that they can learn and that they can improve in. So communities of practice are very intentional, regularly scheduled ways to connect with peers. And I like that idea because it, it breaks out of that siloed structure so teachers can connect with people, they can see that they're not alone in the challenges they face. I think that's really important, especially to that piece of self-efficacy where teachers compare themselves and maybe they think, oh, this teacher has it all figured out. Why can't I do that? But often once we get into communities of practice, we can see, oh, <laughs> other people have figured <laughs> this out at some point. Like maybe they already went through this process. And so it gives that sense of belonging, of validation, but also often in communities of practice, you can have really targeted 
ways of building on maybe tasks that you're struggling to complete. So I, it really ties back into that, giving them tools and strategies that they need over time also. So it, it's the same thing. Usually communities of practice, it's more longitudinal versus a one-off PD mm-hmm. session. So then I'm, I'm, I'm guessing this is, is closely connected because you also talked about the value of professional learning communities or uh, collaborative planning. Yes. Yeah. Also both social things, right? Giving teachers that time to connect with other people. So I would say for collaborative planning, the idea of it, sometimes districts struggle to put it into practice, but it's so important because most teachers have different areas they are more efficacious in, right? So I taught in an elementary setting where I taught all subjects. So I would think about how maybe one person feels really confident in their ability to plan math instruction. Someone else feels really confident in their ability for writing. And it can be really helpful to walk through that process together so you can hear how your colleagues think through something. And just from a really practical point, it takes workload off of teachers, right? Instead of having to plan multiple lessons for each day, you just have that one collaborative planning time for the week, you get it all done, and it frees up time for teachers to focus on other things, which also adds to self-efficacy. So even though it's challenging for districts to figure out, I think it's a really important point to try to figure out at present. PLCs are also really great because usually they have several groups that are offered with different targets of focus. So teachers can self-select into the area that they may need the most support in. And then it gives them materials, training, and support in navigating that area. And I would say, back to my point earlier, instead of just one-off PD sessions, it's giving them scaffolds over time. They can talk and reflect with peers. And that's just going to keep gradually helping them build their confidence in being able to succeed. So my mantra is teaching is a team sport. Mm, Would you buy that? Yes, I I think it absolutely should be. And that's why when we fall into these siloed patterns, it's just not setting any teachers up to succeed or to enjoy their work. It's It can be very lonely. It should be a team sport. I, 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 I came into teaching uh, through through teams. Um, mm. Both student teaching experience was teams. My my first uh, my first job was teams and um, I always thought it was the better route, but I believe today we've almost made it a necessity because of the increase of complexity. Yeah. So I, I, I share the example. I think if you went back in years, you could be a you could be a, a a great biology teacher. You could sneak in the back door, teach your four block periods of biology, and sneak back out, and everything was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but today as a biology teacher, it's really interesting. I was just having this conversation today with with some administrators. Today, if you're a biology teacher, the school's holding you accountable for the students' writing skills improvement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is very different, right? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> most biology teachers have had no background or training. So creating some sense of team. And, and if you're the English teacher, they're holding you accountable for kids' ability to work with and interpret their biology textbook. So mm-hmm. that. I don't see how we can be uh, uh, tackling social emotional skills as isolated teachers. It, it needs to be a way that we're uh, that we're bringing that that together with the with the with the staff. 
Absolutely. It's, it really helps to hear everyone's different processes, how they work through things and helping to fill gaps when, you know, sometimes there's just things we are not experts in. And it's, it's a gift to have people in the building who can help with that. Yeah, I, uh, my statement was, uh, historically, give me uh, 25 students by myself, or give me 50 students with a colleague, I'll take 50 with a colleague every day of the week. Yes, going back to that experience, right? When I had been co-teaching, you know, I was fine. And then it's like, whoop, 33 students by yourself. Very overwhelming. So I, I'm with you. Uh, and if I had my druthers, everybody would have student teaching as a uh, as a team. Because mm -hmm. I, think, I think if we brought people into the profession in that model, mm -hmm. then wherever they landed their teaching positions, they would have seen the benefits of that and they would work to make it happen. Yeah. Um, years, years ago, I was doing some training for a, a university with the cooperating teachers who were going to be working with the student teachers. And uh, the speaker before me from the university was going over all the pieces of information that these folks needed. And one of her statements was, now make sure that as soon as possible, you get the student teacher working on his or her own making decisions to oh. get them ready and i was sitting there thinking and five years from now the district's going to hire me to come in and do a presentation on why we should be working yes. in professional learning communities instead, yeah. of, instead of building that into people's en entry in mm -hmm. yeah it is it's almost like, like well this is how we do it we're, we're yeah. all alone so figure it out versus you know we, we, we could change that picture we could, we could. it is possible it'll take work but really that's what's needed especially in this present context where there are so many things put on teachers we we need to give them what they can to succeed it's good yeah. for them but it's also good for the students and uh the the, the last uh, section of, of your article you you uh, dealt with uh, mentoring and coaching so hmm. take, take us a little further with that yeah so I see coaching and mentoring both as incredibly central and needed parts to build efficacy. And even just going back to my own example, right? If I had not had access to a coach to walk me through those things, I honestly, I had been thinking about quitting after that year. I was like, I am so burnt out on this. So I think that it's really important that teachers have that as a resource because we're so siloed a lot of the times even going to teammates or colleagues who may not have the time or resources to help us it's it's not an option but with both mentors who might be assigned to you or coaches who are available they have the time they have the resources and it can really help with accountability to make sure the teacher is getting those supports but it also provides them with resources ideas someone to get feedback or just you know, brainstorm, what do we do through this situation? I have this idea. Does that sound like that will work? Being able to do that helps people persist through challenges and believe that they'll eventually be able to accomplish whatever they need to. So the big word for me is reflection. Mm. And I'm wondering, would you say that's a theme that runs through the examples that you've shared? Uh, kind of a, a, an overarching that that it increases the reflection 
which is probably critical to increasing the teacher's self-efficacy. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we know from cognitive sciences that reflection is a critical piece of learning, right? If you don't take time to stop and think through those things, it, you're not going to grow in the way that you need to. And I think for teachers to have built in time to think about what went well, yeah, because that's important, right? For self-efficacy, yeah, sure. even if it's not a perfect lesson, if they can think like, oh, you know what? I did do this part that worked and what didn't and how can we try to tweak it a little bit next time? I think that is very important. So positive, positive feedback is, uh, is an element of growing your own efficacy. It's essential, yeah. I would because if you just come in and are pointing out all that's going yeah. wrong, that's not going to foster a good relationship. And that's that's more demotivating, I would say, yeah. than anything. So. Yeah. I probably knew what was going wrong before you came. <laughs> yeah. I, maybe I didn't know why, but I probably already knew it. But And very often I was missing the things mm -hmm. that were working, which are often something critical to be able to, to, to build upon. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I'm going to ask for your help on something. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm a big promoter of the uh, instructional coach principal partnership. Those two people uh, working working as a team. Mm -hmm. And uh, every summer, I, uh, I I post a list of questions that I encourage the instructional coach and principal to sit down and discuss as mm -hmm. they plan the, uh, the 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 coming year. Uh, I was wondering if if you might be able to offer me a few questions that I could add to that list that would uh, that would assist a, a principal and instructional coach in mm. taking a read on what the current level of teacher efficacy is uh, across mm. their building and the kinds of things they might want to look to do to uh, to increase it. Yes. So I think being able to have an opportunity like that to sit down is so helpful. I love that idea. So this is super cool to think through. Um, I think for principals and instructional coaches who are trying to gauge efficacy in their building, it might be helpful to sit down and first just ask, going back to our conversation about strengths and what people are doing well, we, they could sit and say, what are aspects that we see teachers feeling confident in? or accomplishing well in our building. And that might help them identify what does seem to be going well. It might help them identify potential mentors, right? If there's one teacher who seems to be really successful in parent communication, that could be a really great tool for the building, right? So I think going through and thinking through just broadly what success looks like in their school or if they want to go through every teacher in their building and identify something they're doing well that is really helpful and starts off by giving us a positive mindset about what is each person bringing to our building and on the flip side then once they think through those strengths they could think through um, what aspects of teachers work do, do they seem most overwhelmed in right now or most frustrated and trying to complete and if these principals and instructional coaches are paying any attention, <laughs> they should have an idea, right? Usually teachers make their frustrations or <laughs> no. So Obvious, yeah. Feel, like, <laughs> again, if they want to think through each teacher, they can, or if it's just broadly like, 
we've noticed a lot of teachers feel like they don't have enough planning time to get done what they need to get done. That can help them prioritize and figure out what they can do to really target some of those things. Um, as we wrap up, I, I'm wondering if you'd want to say a word or two about um, collective teacher efficacy mm -hmm. as being the big payoff of that next step from teacher efficacy. Yes, I'm so glad you brought this up. So just to clarify, collective efficacy is when the staff of teachers feels capable of accomplishing the school's goals. So it's shifting from that individual focus to communal focus. And there are actually studies that show collective efficacy is closely associated with positive school climate which we know that is good for everybody, right? Working in that school building, learning in that school building. So I think that if principals, instructional coaches are really wanting to go from the individual efficacy building to collective building, it might be helpful for them to have a conversation at the beginning of the year with teachers and maybe have them self-reflect, what is an area of confidence I have how do I plan to use it to bring joy to my work this year? So that's that's the individual piece, like right? That. And it's making them think about how can my strengths bring me satisfaction in my job? I think that's a very different type of conversation than what teachers usually get hit with at the beginning of the year where it's like, look at last year's test scores. We need to do <laughs> you know, all of this. And then once they're thinking about how their strengths can help them, ask the question, how can you use your strengths or your areas of confidence to support our school community? And then maybe they could have a discussion about, you know, these are our goals for the year. This is what we really value. And how can you bring your strengths into that? I think starting off a school year that way is going to build that sense of community and shared vision, but also make each teacher realize I have something to contribute to this. So maybe I'll be a mentor in this area. Maybe I'll present a PD session or lead a PLC. And hopefully, again, over time, if these things are built in, it can help that school have stronger collective efficacy. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. I, I really uh, appreciate your sharing your thoughts with us. And as I said, I'll uh, I'll put the link to your uh, article uh, in the podcast lead in. Um, I'm wondering, is there a way that folks could uh, contact you if they have uh, questions or comments they'd like to follow up on? Absolutely. I would love to follow up with people if they would like to continue the conversation. They can either email me and I can share my email address with you. Um, or message me through LinkedIn or Twitter. It's just my name, Sarah Caraleo, for both of those. And yeah, I'd love to connect. Great. Well, we'll put that information in the lead-in as well. Awesome. Thanks, Thank thanks again for your time. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Thanks for listening, folks. I'd love to hear what you're pondering. You can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Steve Barkley, or send me your questions and find my videos and blogs at barkleypd.com.